chapter 3 is where we are this afternoon. Um, have you ever found yourself uh, in a moment of transition? You're like, yes, of course we have. Um, not quite yet, Graham, on that. You're good. Um, sorry, I was like, kill it, quick, don't let them see it. It's just the Bible and the prayer prompts. <laughs> have you ever found yourself in one of those moments of transition? Not just any moment of transition, like from one thing to another, from one season to another, but a transition from the, like, the theoretical to the practical? What I mean by that is from knowing something in your head to having to live it out like with your hands in your life. From learning something at school to having to do it. Do you remember the feelings, if you've ever experienced that, associated with finding yourself in a moment like that one? Do you remember like, oh, this is the moment now. that All that that I had planned for is now like happening. There's like a distinct moment, I think, in a, in a transition like that one. For me, there have been many in my life. I think probably the same is true for you. But uh, as I was thinking about this week, there, some of them uh, were the following ones. Um, that moment of transition was me. I remember where I was, what I was wearing, the students who were looking back at me when I heard the words, this is Mr. Moore. He'll be your student teacher for the next eight weeks. <laughs> Anybody done student teaching? Anybody? Like That is a terrifying moment where you're like, I am now in charge of you people who are two, three years younger than me and meaner than me, right? Like, it's like, I, it's, a, it's a moment of training. Like, I don't have what it takes, right? Or the moment in which my Spanish professor in college looked at me uh, at the free clinic in West Nashville and said, okay, Matt, they need you to translate for this patient. I was like, oh, oh, this is the thing that we're doing now. <laughs> like, this feels more than I thought it would, like... Or the night before my driver's test when I woke up at 4 a.m., slept, walked, and got completely dressed because I was so stressed out about whether or not that which I had learned in the classroom would translate to the road, whether I could apply that which I'd learned and pass the driver's test, or if I would have to go to high school later, the next, later that day as the absolute failure that couldn't pass the test. I don't know if you guys remember the stress of that moment, but that stress was real. Like, I woke up, I slept, walked through my house, got completely ready at 4 a.m. I was like, what are you doing? Go ahead and grab it, Gilly. Yep, you're good, man. Yeah, no good. No, all good. Um, those are the moments, right? Have you ever experienced moments like that? Many more moments like that in my life as well. They are moments of transition marked from moving from the being to the doing, from the learning to the practicing. And that feeling, that rush of adrenaline, that perceived gap that we must cross, right? The realization that head knowledge does not equal hand knowledge sometimes. It's a unique moment in our lives. And that kind of moment, that, that transition is the moment that I think Paul is walking us through this afternoon in Ephesians chapter 3, right? We've said as we've journeyed along over the last several weeks together through Ephesians, and it bears repeating and emphasizing today that Paul structures his letter in a really cool way, right? The first three chapters or so, everything we've read up until now, they're a beautiful description of, of, about the church in Ephesus' identity, primarily their communal identity in Jesus, right? It's about who they are in Jesus, he says things like, you were dead before Jesus, but God made you alive now with Jesus. That they were strangers and foreigners, we talked about last week. But now, on the other side of God's work in Jesus, they are citizens of God's kingdom, members of his family. And they're being built up into the very place where his spirit dwells. Some huge and important statements about their identity in Christ as a church. In the next three chapters, the ones we'll talk about after tonight, right, are Paul's vision for how they then are to live out of that identity in some really specific ways, in really specific spaces. About how God's work in them and their identity in Christ is to be lived out in their communities and in their homes and in the world for God's glory and as a means of grace into the places that they find themselves, right? It could be said, I think, that if the first three chapters are the being, then the next three are the doing. 
And if that's the case, we find ourselves in one of those threshold moments of transition in our text tonight between them, right? Between the journey, on the journey of, of, that goes from being to doing, from having identity spoken over us to living out of that identity for God's glory. And I was thinking about those moments in my own life, again, those transition moments. I don't know if it's true for you or not, but, but you know what I often feel most in those moments? Like, if you think about those moments and you're like, what is it that you often feel in that moment of like, oh, now I have to do something that, that I've only thought about, right? That I've only read about. Like, you know what I feel in those moments? Maybe this isn't true. I acutely feel the lack in those moments. The lack of experience, right? Like, I've never literally done this before. Or I've never done this in this way, in this setting, and the stakes feel really high. I don't know what to do. I feel the lack of confidence, right? I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I've heard it, but, it's, but it can't be true. I'm an imposter. I'm a grifter, right? Like if you get really negative, right? Like I can't do this. We're standing in front of ninth grade students, Spanish one. Like I don't even, I think I forgot the whole language. Like I don't remember a word. Like what am I doing? Can't do this. The lack of faith, right? I feel that in myself and my ability to make the transition to put into practice that which I've learned or that which I've become. And you know what else I realized? I don't just feel that lack, but my deepest desire in those kind of moments, I don't know about you, but for me, it's, the, it's that someone or something outside of, my, outside of myself would empower me, would give me that which I lack to walk me through the transition from the being to the doing, right? Like, I'm like would somebody come and help me? I don't know what to do. Help me transition from the learning to the applying, from the theory to the practice, and that, I believe, is precisely what happens in our text today. Like Paul gives them, that church in Ephesus, and our church by extension, that gift. And it's precisely what we're going to do together today as well. We're going to pause here in the middle of Ephesians. We're going to do exactly what Paul does. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray together that God would give us everything we need to live out of our identity into his kingdom for his glory, our joy, and that we may become agents of peace and unity and grace in the world, that we may become that which he has already said is true about us. That we may take hold of the identity that he's given us in Jesus as a church, not just talk about it, but take hold of it and live it into reality on our streets and in our neighborhoods and in our city. So I want to read together what Paul says, and then we'll pray it ourselves. Sound good? Some of you are nervous because like, this is the audience participation part of it, and you're like, I didn't come. Like, it's okay. Just take a deep breath. We'll be all right. We'll walk through it, okay? I promise it'll be, it'll be fine. Let's read what Paul prays, and then we'll pray it ourselves. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, if you have your Bibles. Let's kind of walk through it. Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Takes a moment, right? Takes a breath. He steps back, and he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Brooks told me this afternoon that he heard that um, that, that kneeling thing is not common to Judaism. Like in, in Judaism, you'll see Jesus do this, right? That he looks up to heaven, he lifts his hands, and he prays. Right? This is the posture of prayer in Judaism. But what Paul is doing is he's taking a, a pagan prayer posture, a Greek pagan prayer posture, and he's, and he's inviting it into the redeemed community of faith. He says, hey, look, you were Jew and Gentile, right? You were separate. Now look, now when you pray, I pray, a Jewish like, leader right, in the church, I pray as you pray. It's an amazing statement of unity just in the posture of prayer that Paul adopts as he, as he steps into this space. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul says, because of all that God has done, right, that he's talked about, for this reason, Paul says, for the reason that I've told you, for this reason, because of all that God has done, because he is worthy, because he is powerful, because he is gracious, I kneel before him. I submit myself to him, to his vision for our life. 
And he says, I pray, verse 16, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, that's a lot, right? He kneels before the Father, he writes to this church, and he says, I pray. And the one I pray to, I don't know him just as the creator of the universe, not just as the, not just as the power that raised Jesus from the dead, things that he's already named in the letter of the Ephesian church, but he says, I pray to him as the good father of every family, of every family. He's already told them about the glorious riches of the grace of God. All that is theirs in Jesus, the family, the blessing, the good work to do on the other side of the grace extended to them. But now he prays, not just for them to know about the glorious riches, but that out of God's glorious riches, out of the glorious riches of his grace has been extended to them and love that he's had toward them as a church, as a people, that the God of heaven would strengthen them with the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead in their inner person. So that, what's the purpose of Paul's prayer? That God would do this in his power, out of his riches. Why? So that Christ may dwell in their hearts. And this is the only time that I know of in Scripture, I could be wrong, but I think it's the only time in Scripture where we see the idea of Jesus in your heart actually in the Bible. And the, the fascinating thing to me about that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? But we talk about that a lot in like terms of salvation, right? Ask Jesus into your heart, like... And there's like, what's it, my four-year-old's like, what's it mean to have, my five-year-old now, what's it mean to have Jesus in my heart? I'm like, well, buddy, that's a big one. Let me, it means a lot, right? Like we, but we think about it in terms of salvation. But the interesting thing is that the moment we see it here in Paul's writing, it's not in a moment of salvation. Like God said, like you've already been saved. You've already been given an identity. The moment that we see here playing itself out is not one of salvation, but one of empowerment, a moment of strength to actually live into the identity the identity of Jesus in the world that he's given us. Christ in our hearts, at least in this context, as Paul prays it, is not primarily a way to get those that are out there in here. Christ in our hearts is primarily a way to get that which is in here, in this community, in this temple, Paul says, out there. And that's a radical, radical shift if we'll embrace it to get the dynamic presence and power of Jesus Christ flowing out of his church into the world for God's glory. That's what Paul is praying for. Not to gather a bunch of people in a room, but to release the power of God into the world because Jesus Christ dwells in the heart of his people. And then Paul says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Let me just like read that again. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a casual thing to pray, right? Do you see what he's praying for? Like, do you hear that? To be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Tim Mackey, the founder of the Bible Project, he says, there are depths and dimensions of the love of God. I want you to hear this. If you've been in church for your whole life or five minutes, I want you to hear this. That there are depths and dimensions of the love of God that are impossible to experience, hear that, that are impossible to experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with, the other, with other followers of Jesus who are not like us. 
It's the context in which Paul says all of this, right? Jews and Gentiles. Say it in other places, slave or free, male or free. They're like Tim Mackey says that there are aspects of the love of God that we cannot experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with followers of Jesus who are not like us. The truth is, there is no reason for these families, Jewish people, Greek people, there is no reason for these families in this context, and, and if we're honest, the families in our city, they're differentiated for, by a million different factors, right? There is no reason for these families and these diverse groups of people to bond themselves together under the order and powers of the world they are currently, as they are currently aligned and structured. There's no reason for these people to be together in that, if that's the worldview that we hold on to, right? But when we do, when the church does that, when the church lives out of God's vision for human flourishing and, and diversity in his body and, and the beauty that comes with it, when we do that in Jesus, because of Jesus, we experience the love of God in a deeper, more vibrant way. That's just the truth. We experience life in ways that we, could, we never could apart from life with God's people and the beauty of its, and the richness of its diversity. And Paul knows that apart from Jesus, that way of living, that vision makes zero sense. Like it makes no sense to love your enemies in a world that is under the influences of the powers and principalities. I mean, just think about the moment we find ourselves in, right? Think about the way that we build nation states and cultures and groups, right? Who's out, who's in. It makes no sense to live into this vision of the church unless what Jesus says about life is true. And Paul, because Paul knows this, he doesn't just tell them that's true. Because that's one thing, right? Like, we should do that. Like, you guys should do that. You should try it out. He doesn't just know. Like, that's a hard thing to do. And as hard as it is for us, I think it might have been even harder for them, for, for people who had lived their entire history, right, as the, as, the, as the chosen people of God, right, to now say the gift that you've been enjoying for the last whatever hundreds, thousands of years is now extended to the entire world, and so you should just, like, accept it. Like, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And Paul knows it's like, it's a really hard thing. And because he knows that, he doesn't just tell them that it's true, though he's already told them that over and over and over again, right? That Jesus ran through the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians chapter 2, right? Like, it's one thing to know that it's true. It's another thing to experience the truth of it. It's one thing to say, like, we want to embody the diversity of the kingdom of God and the place we find ourselves as a church. It's another thing to actually do that. It's another thing to, like, wake up with people who are different than us and, like, go about our lives with each other in love, in self-giving, sacrificial sort of ways, Right? Paul knows that it's it's hard, and so he doesn't just tell them that it's true. He prays, and he prays that the God of heaven would give them the power, that they would be rooted and grounded in their love for one another. Like, you know what, like the commitment to one another, you know, like where, like, where it begins and where it flows from, from their committed, rugged, ruggedly committed love for one another. It's like, look, I'm not going anywhere. From the moment I tell, I, I've told you guys about, all, like, I think about it all the time, but, like, Chris and I are on a run, like, two years in our marriage. I'm like, she doesn't really know me. Like, I got some stuff. I just got, like, I got to tell her, like, this is me. This is it. Full on. Here's, my, here's where I'm not formed, right? I'm, like, nervous about it. Like, we're running the whole time. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, just tell her. It'll be good. I'm like, no, like, I don't have vulnerability. I don't really know. Like, I'll just keep, like, this is, like, this is me. Good, bad, and ugly. I'm the run. She didn't sign up for it. She just wanted to go for a run. And she said to me, uh, we get home, she said, hey, look, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like, you know the gift of grace that was in my life? I'm not going anywhere. It's out of the ruggedly committed love for one another that this thing either works or it doesn't. It's like, man, it works or it doesn't based upon our commitment to one another. 
in the face of all of the hard and the difficult and the misunderstandings and the brokenness in our lives and the lives of others around us. Like, it's all because of the committed love of Jesus in us. He prays that the God of heaven would give them the power out of that rooted and grounded love for one another and God's love for them to experience a filling of God that can only come from an experience of his love as part of his countercultural heaven-infused community. What I mean by that is like you only experience that kind of love in this space. He says, I, I pray for you that you would experience that, a, a filling of God to that degree. I mean, I don't know when the last time someone prayed for you was or you prayed for someone specifically that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Like that is a wild thing to pray for someone. Like, can you imagine like praying like, over my kids? Like, God, would you fill Ezra like, to, the, to the fullness? Like, like, as, like as full as you can make him of yourself, would you do that? Like I've, I've never prayed that for my kid. Like, I've realized this week in, in reading this that, that my prayers are like not too crazy or too big or too lofty or too ide- idealistic or too naive. The truth is, in light of this, my prayers are like way too small. <laughs> like they're way too small. Praying like... God, would you fill us to the measure of all of the fullness of God? That we would love one another in that way, that we would be patient with one another in that way, that we would treat each other as God has treated us. I mean, what if this church began to live out of that reality? Just a question we're thinking about. Then he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I'm sure you guys have heard this one, right? This is like on t-shirts. You might have a t-shirt with this, like camp theme, summer, like, 1998, 8th grade camp. I think this was it for us, right? Like, but listen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Paul says that the place where we see God do the exceedingly abundantly more, that's kind of the way that's translated, is in the context of our life together in the church. That's where we see that happen. Now, I believe that it's true in our individual lives. Like, I believe that's true, right? That God can and will do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I I believe that's true for us as individuals and for us as families. Like, that God can and will do immeasurably more than all we could. I, I believe that his goodness is better than we could dream up, that his faithfulness is unrivaled, that his presence is promised. And while all of that is true, Paul says it's more true about our life together in this community called the church than it is about our individualistic lives. It's more true about this space. It's in the church, Paul says, just as in Christ Jesus that God is glorified through all generations of this family. That it's in our shared life together and the good works we do as recipients of grace that God is glorified. I mean, the truth is, the mere fact that this community even exists in a world that seems dominated and controlled by other visions for life, other mindsets, other principalities and powers, the truth is, our mere existence brings glory to God and bears witness to his ability to unite where only disunity exists. And that's why Paul can say that when the church gathers, the heavens are put on notice about the kingdom of God. That only the church can bring peace, I believe, in the midst of chaos, hope in the middle of despair, love in places where hate has reigned, and heaven literally to places of hell in our world. That's what Paul prays for us. Not that we would just see that or think about that, but we would experience that. We would be conduits of that reality together as the church of Jesus. 
And the truth is, there's some amazingly rich and beautiful theology in the first part of this letter. Like we've talked about, we haven't even scratched the surface. Like the first three chapters of Ephesians, like we could spend years there. We haven't even scratched the surface. And the truth is, there's some beautiful and practical ways of living out of that theology in the second part of this letter, and we'll talk about it. Ways of living and doing that will turn your family and our city upside down to the glory of God. It will help us live into purpose that we could never even imagined outside of God's vision for our life together. That God will be glorified, that we will find joy and we will experience life in the ways of Jesus together if we can put some of these things into practice. I believe all that's true and it's all coming in the second half of Ephesians. But in between, in between, in the space between being and doing, between knowing and practicing, Paul stops and he prays. And he literally prays the power of God into the lives of this church. I, mean, I don't know if you've written a letter. It's a really kind of awkward thing to do in the middle of a letter. I mean, have you been in a conversation where it's like, hey, we're talking, like, hey, let's pray. It's like awkward enough in and of itself. Like a letter now. You're like, hey, hold on, does this guy pray? Like it's like the text message prayer. Anybody ever got that? Like it's amazing. It's like the great, it's like such a gift. But I'm like, that feels like, I don't know. It feels like, but here we are in the middle of the doing and the being. The being and the doing. Sorry, I got it reversed. In the middle of that. Paul says, hey, like, to be able to make that transition, let me just like, pray some of the power of God over you. If you're ever going to live this into reality, let me pray for you. And we're going to do the same thing today. We're going to stop in the transition place in Paul's letter to his church, and we're going to pray these realities over our family here. Um, as we do that, I just want to name a couple of, of truths or realities or just let's be honest, right? Things like this can be intimidating at first. Like, I, I see your faces. Some of you are like, what, are, what is he about to ask me to do? Like, it's okay. They can be intimidating. It's okay. Take a deep breath. This is safe. This is a safe place. They can be intimidating at first. Will it be awkward? Maybe. It might. Like if we turn, what we're going to do is we're going to turn and we're going to pray with each other for a minute, okay? Just put, let's let that cat out of the bag. Put the tiger on the table. Is that, is that a saying? Tiger on the table? Cam? Okay. I think that's one. We're going to pray with each other in a minute, okay? Um, will it be awkward? Maybe, but I promise you it won't kill you. I promise you. Will there be silence? Probably, and it will be awkward. Will there be a moment you won't know what you should do? Like, I hope not. I'm going to try to guide you through it. But the truth is, um, there might be. And that's okay. It'll be okay. And as always, whenever we do anything like this, you are free to participate as you feel comfortable and able. Okay? Like, there is no judgment in here. If you need to, like, go get some coffee, if you're not up for it, it's totally okay. Like, all is grace and all is invitation in the kingdom of God. No one will look at you funny if you don't want it to. At the same time, I believe that following Jesus is about trying new things, it's about practicing, it's about stretching and growing and risking. So I'd encourage you, if you've never prayed, try it out. Give it a shot. If you're nervous about doing it wrong or saying the wrong thing or sounding silly, I get it. I am too every single Sunday. And it hasn't stopped me yet. And I say dumb things all the time, okay? Like, it's totally okay. Don't let it stop you from trying. So to start, we're going to get in groups of four or five. Um, Graham's going to turn on some music just so we have some background noise. Ideally, just turn your chairs toward one another. If you came with someone and they're on the other side of the room, like, feel free to get up and go find them. This is your space. There are no rigid rules. Let's just like group up together and pray as we're able. Okay, sound good? So just go ahead and we'll do that now. Just go ahead and turn your chairs if you want to. Um, we're going to walk through Paul's prayer. And I'll pray in places and I'll invite you all to pray with each other in other places. And when we're done, we'll take communion together. Sound good? All right, so go ahead, organize yourselves, get to where you are. Like, again, if you want to sit in the back, if you want to go in the other room, like, if you're, like, it's totally, this is your space. This is your space. But seriously, get with, get with people. Like, two or three, if you want to pray with your spouse or with your partner or whoever you came with, like, that's great. Like, um, but just get comfortable. Let's get in the space together. It's okay, Grace. It's okay. 
Gracie just breaking the ice for all of us, right? Like, it's great. If you, don't, if you don't know each other, introduce yourselves. That'd be cool. Like, say, hey, like. And behind me, I'm going to put the scripture. I'm going to read through it. I'll pray a little bit. Um, below the scripture are going to be some prompts. Like, again, if you're like, we got it. I don't need your guiding. Like, we got it. Like, just pray. Just go. We set you free. We bless that. We release you into that. If there's some things you want to pray about, or you're like, I don't know what to pray about. Like, these are some things that we could pray for for our church, okay? It just kind of came out of my heart as I was walking through this text. So feel free. Let me, let me read again the text, and then I'll pray for us, and then I'll give you guys three or four or five minutes to pray through it. Sound good? So I'm going to read. Brooks is confused. You look confused. You good? All right, great. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray for us to get us started, and then I'm just going to kind of open it up for you, all right? And then we'll do this a couple times. Sound good? These are Paul's words. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, and I believe for our church as we gather tonight this to get together in this space. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So God, we ask you, Lord. And we thank you. And we ask that you would come pray that you give us a heightened awareness of your presence with us. That you are the good Father who gives good gifts. That every family on heaven, in heaven and on earth derives its name from you. That you are the provider, the creator, the sustainer of all things. And as a church gathered in the name of Jesus, we affirm that. We believe it. We pray for faith to help us to believe in the spaces that we don't quite yet. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen this family, this church, with power through your spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts, so that Christ may dwell in the very center of this place, that Christ may reign in our homes and in the vision that we have together as a church for what it means to follow you. Would you, God, grant us that? Would you empower us through the power of your spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? We pray that you would hear us, Father, as we pray. Pray that you would help us to pray in faith in the places that we, we haven't been able to pray in faith for a long time, knowing that you are a good Father. Or would you do this for us this afternoon as we gather so that Christ may dwell in our hearts? Amen. Amen.